Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Major, major rebound in these markets. Whenever you think that they're down for a little bit here, they just come bouncing back. It's that whole buy the dip mentality. Let's bring in a professional to get a good view of what maybe we can think about for the last few trading weeks of 2021, more importantly, into next year. We do that with Brett Schutte, Chief Investment Strategist at Northwestern Mutual Wealth Management Company. So, Brett, when we have sell-off days and you hear from your clients, do you tell them to just steady the at the helm and keep looking forward and this is a market that will continue to move higher? How do you think about this market as we head into 2022? Yeah, I, I do think the market will continue to push higher in 2022 because the economy will continue to push higher. And so if you think about the underlying fundamentals of the U.S. economy, they still remain strong. Sure, there are some bottlenecks. There are some oddities that have happened because of COVID, and we can take you through those. But in general, we think the economy will lurch back towards whatever normal may be in 2022. If you think about that commentary, some of the oddities that have occurred will continue to go back towards where they were. So we've had this enormous amount of goods demand that has really changed the trend from what it was pre-COVID. It was more towards the services. That has caused the ports to be uh, you know, clogged because goods rise in container ships, services don't. But we think as you move into 2022, you're going to see some of those historical trends return towards normal or what it was pre-COVID. Mm. I think that's going to alleviate some of the inflation fears. I think yeah. the labor market is going to heal because the oddities of the labor market were caused by pandemic unemployment insurance, which yep. is now wore off. And I think as you have those things happen, you're going to have a market that moves higher mm. because the economy moves higher, but with different leadership. Well, so those what, which leadership also caused oddities in the market. Yeah. So I, I think if you think of the past few years and some of those oddities, I mean, the stay-at-home trade has been in, in, in vogue. I think the world becomes more uh, back into public. Um, you've had people bid up hopes, dreams, themes, and memes because real rates have been so negative. Liquidity has been so large. Um, liquidity will start to drain a bit from the system in 2022. And I think people are going to focus on valuation more rather than themes. And I think that means things like small caps, which are cheap, have a good backdrop, value stocks, and perhaps even international stocks do better in 2022. I like that. Hopes, dreams, themes, and memes. <laughs> and it's not wrong. I suppose, I, mean, you add, I suppose you could add cryptos to that, too. Crypto, yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, for sure, for sure. Crypto goes into that box. So, But you think we're getting back to um, a more normal market. I wonder what you think about the um, active versus passive discussion, because uh, we've had some really big voices weigh in or going to weigh in. I'll give you a little tease. Uh, Peter Lynch sure. on a Bloomberg yep. radio program tonight is saying um, he thinks you're losing out if you're going all in on passive. He says he beat the market forever and he's got a bunch of guys that do it. Where do you where, where do you fall in this discussion? I, I agree with Peter and I, I think it's um, I've, I've kind of compared this time period to 1999. There are, there are many comparisons, other differences, uh, and the debate on active versus passive is also cyclical. And so to me, people forget that sometimes active management is not about just what you own, but what you don't own. And so to me, there are parts of the market that are very odd. The S&P 500 is as concentrated as it has been since 1999, and before that, the nifty, uh, uh, the nifty 50 stocks of the 70s. I think in the future, there, there's going to be some active management opportunities just from a valuation perspective, from a popularity perspective. I just feel that as you move forward, 
it's going to look a lot like it did from 2000 to 2005, 6, 7, which was actually a good period of time for active management. Brent, you got your MBA from the University of Chicago. That means you're probably one of those numbers geeks. What are some of the inflation He's numbers? Freshwater man. I know. I, well, when I applied to business school, trust me, I did not apply to the University of Chicago. I didn't think that would be a good fit. But, Brent, what are some of the inflation data that you're looking at and you think the Fed is looking at? To me, the Fed looks at the five-year, five-year forward. So, so what does the market believe that the inflation will be five years from now? And that number has not skyrocketed. Sure, it's above where it was uh, in the last time period from like 14 to, to 19, but it's still well below where it was in the more normal inflationary periods that we had in the 04, 05, 06, 07 through maybe 10, 11. To me, that's one key indicator. I don't, for as much as we talk about it, the market doesn't believe that inflation is going to be an issue. The other part of it, I mentioned is a shift of spending from services to goods. If you look at where inflation has been over the past few months, and keep in mind we've had inflation for a total of seven months now, yep. um, so it's awful odd that we're calling it permanent now, you have seen a 15.4% <laughs> jump in good spending during the pandemic. Services has yet to return to its pre-COVID levels. If I break inflation down into goods inflation versus services inflation, you've had goods inflation, which from 2009 to 2020 was basically zero. In other words, it didn't inflate. It's up, I believe, 7.5% on an annual basis. If I take goods inflation, just one more number because I do love them, if you take goods inflation mm. apart and you say durables versus non-durables, durables are things like furnishings, uh, things like uh, uh, air conditioners, things like cars. Durable goods inflation from 1995 to 2020 deflated 40%. It is up 8.8% year over year because right. we've had that shift that has really stressed um, the port system has really stressed our mm. infrastructure, our supply chains. I think that as that alleviates in 2022, you will see goods inflation pull back. Services yep. inflation may be a bit more sticky, but I think those numbers will start coming down, and that will give the Fed the impetus to be able to stick around longer than what people imagine. All right, Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate the numbers, which is what we expect from an MBA from Chicago. Brett Trudy, Chief Investment Strategist, Northwest Mutual. All right, let's talk about the housing market, the real estate housing market, rip-roaring, red-hot, however you want to phrase it, very, very hot right now, and Matt knows that firsthand. He's just was in the marketplace. We're joined today by Annabelle Fernandez, Interim Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer of DreamFinders Homes. It's a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ. DFH went public in January of this year at $13 a share. Trades today at $18.15. Uh, it's got a market cap of about $1.7 billion. So, Annabelle, hot market. Give us your 30,000-foot view of the residential real estate market today. Sure. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, we remain really positive about the outlook. We have had strong economic growth in 2021 post-pandemic, and we think that will continue into 2022. Low inventory levels persist, especially in the MSAs in which we operate, in the states of Florida, in Denver, Colorado, in Texas, and historically low mortgage rates, even if the Fed is prepared to take action and unwind their program, we still believe rates are historically low and very compelling. We have millennials entering the home buying years, um, and we just have observed in the MSAs in which we operate a positive demographic pattern with an influx of individuals moving into the suburbs uh, post-pandemic, and that has also benefited certain areas of the market. So, so we remain relatively uh, cautious, but very optimistic. 
Well, how much are you building? I mean, you're as you point out, um, you operate in Denver, in Orlando. You also uh, build houses in Jacksonville and Austin, Savannah, um, as well as the Carolinas and Virginia. How much are you putting up there? Because we know there's huge demand. Uh, there is definitely very strong demand. In my history in home building, I've never seen this um, this market where every house you put on the house, on the floor you you sell. Uh, normally, we are a builder that likes to have speculatory inventory on the ground because people need to move, move into a market and buy a house right away. And normally, we like to keep a certain level of inventory well, we can't keep up. Uh, 90% of the inventory we're building is already pre-sold. So it's unprecedented, and uh, we're excited to see where it gets to in the next year and just definitely working uh, through our backlog to deliver the homes as quickly as we can for our customers. Annabelle, one of the things we've heard about in kind of the new home construction business is the industry is just not building enough new buyer homes, first-time buyer homes. They're buying, they're, they're building kind of the McMansion because obviously higher price, higher margin for the builder. Where in the marketplace are you, uh, you know, in terms of the types of homes you build? Uh, That's a great question. We are focused on the entry level and first-time move-up market segments. We we build in the active adult sector and second-time move-up, but 85% of what we do is entry level and first-time move-up. So those millennials and affordability is a concern. Mortgage rates are a concern, of course. So, so the affordability component and building an efficient home that can just um, serve that piece of the market is our main focus. Paul is a very active adult. That is so me, I think exactly. That's, <laughs> you should move my, to Jacksonville, Paul. Uh, my, yeah, my, I'm thinking about it. My question is um, – ceiling heights i can't stand in new builds how low the ceilings are you know that's why i always when i'm looking in new york i want to find a pre-war building can i choose my ceiling height if i go to dream finders uh, you, you can you can we have designer level homes where you can choose that and you have 10 11 foot ceilings uh so yes absolutely depending on, on the right neighborhood the right product we can accommodate for that because <laughs> matt I is about relate. i don't know six four or something like that anyway i would go to denver i like denver yeah, absolutely. That would be my choice of the DreamFinders areas. All right, Annabelle Fernandez, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate Annabelle Fernandez. She's the Interim Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer for DreamFinders Home. DFH is the symbol for that, uh, building new homes. And again, not uh, York, interesting though. to hear that focus on some entry-level housing. So Yeah, yeah, but, but not in the tri-state area. No, why would you? I mean, the cost is just too high, so I think they've got a pretty good strategy there. Pivot a little bit right here. Let's talk about the electric vehicle business, the renewables business, the clean energy business. All that is uh, really dependent in, in part on uh, good battery performance. Tom Jensen, CEO and co-founder of Fryer Battery, it is an NYSE uh, listed uh, stock. F R E Y is the symbol. It's a Norway-based developer of clean batteries for energy storage market EVs and the marine industry. Went public this past winter through a SPAC transaction with Alusa Energy. Tom, thanks so much for joining us here. Give us a sense of what your company does. What is your focus? Uh, what are you guys up to? So, well, uh, thank you for that. And, and so we are developing um, world-leading uh, clean battery solutions uh, for all market verticals. Uh, we're going to build initial capacity in the Norwegian 
uh, or, or in Norway, leveraging Norway's uh, surplus renewable energy, which is also more cost-effective than, than most energy sources globally. And in our opinion, uh, batteries form, as you pointed out, uh, the most important catalyst for the energy transition. It's kind of obvious to decarbonize transportation through electric vehicles, but it's equally important uh, as a uh, catalyst for decarbonizing energy systems globally. So we're going to give batteries using an American technology. So we've licensed in 24M technologies, which we believe is next generation uh, lithium-ion battery technology that offers step change in performance, step change in cost, uh, and also has potential to dramatically improve uh, further moving forward by building larger and thicker, uh, essentially, electrodes into the batteries. So uh, if you look at the International Energy Agency's predictions of staying sort of roughly within the Paris Agreement and one and a half degree uh, sort of ambition, uh, batteries are included, so to speak, in half of the investment needing to go into the energy transition. So we're very happy to be in New York today mm. participating in an event on the New York Stock Exchange. I'm going back there together with His Royal Highness, the Crown Prince of Norway, to basically talk about how to finance the energy transition. So for us, batteries is part of the future. Uh, we think the decade we're in is going to be the decade of the battery. This is a solution that is here today. It's commercially uh, available. The cost points are already competitive with the alternatives. And uh, any battery that will be you know, produced will be sold. And so, demand is going through the roof. Hang on, you're going to go down there with Hakon? Correct. So His Royal Highness, the Crown Prince, uh, is a very good um, <clears throat> sort of custodian of, of Norwegian interests. So he uh, he participates in, in promoting Norwegian interests abroad. And Norway obviously has uh, deep interests and relations with the United States and therefore sort of collaborating around the energy transition and us actually taking a U.S. technology to scale in Norway, but also coming back to the U.S. through our partnership with Coke Strategic Platforms and developing clean battery solutions also in the American market is, is something that we are now uh, actively pursuing together with Coke. So, so we're super excited about the partnership opportunity that we have, developing the blueprint in Norway, and then replicating that uh, uh, rapidly here in the U.S. Uh, yeah. to, to sort of be a relevant participant in the energy transition. It's very cool. So you get basically the... Um uh, the genius from MIT, you bring it to Norway where they have the know-how to put these things together, and then you build out or so, solid-state or lithium-ion batteries. What What, what is um, the actual battery technology that you're focused on? So so 24M Technologies and MIT spin-off, as you pointed out, uh, a very clever sort of solution. They've developed something they label the semi-solid platform. And that's really not sort of a pun on solid-state batteries. It's more to do with the structure of the battery themselves. So they are, instead of these slurry-like mix that you use to, to create conventional batteries, which you coat onto the aluminum and copper foil, 24M essentially creates a thicker slurry, almost like a clay-like structure for the electrodes, which you're casting onto the current collectors, and hence the semi-solid connotation. So this is a production process and a battery designed that is dramatically better in terms of cost performance and also can allow you to put more energy carrying material into the same volumetric unit of final product. So that's a number of sort of technical sort of jargons here. But the point is, ultimately, if we want to have batteries uh, move into all the vehicles and all the stationary storage applications, uh, 
and sort of storing sunlight and wind and all the rest of it, we need to put more energy carrying material into smaller and smaller compartments and basically drive up energy density and reduce costs. And that is what 24M provides the promise of. It's a dramatically simplified production process, significantly reducing capital expenditure, significantly reducing footprint, lowering the energy bill dramatically, uh, lowering number of employees required, and more importantly, allowing for further optimization while staying in the same raw material supply chain as conventional lithium-ion batteries have. So for us, this is next generation happening now. And the only sort of focus we have is how fast can we build how much capacity and the demand is, as I said, it's it's skyrocketing right. uh, as everyone is now jumping onto the energy transition. Energy transition, absolutely. Tom Jensen, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Tom Jensen, he's the CEO and co-founder of Fryer Battery. It's a NYSE-listed uh, stock. F-R-E-Y is the symbol and is... Tom was mentioning, um, you know, as you move towards this renewable energy uh, usages and applications, one of the key, key drivers here is the quality uh, and performance of the batteries. And that's where Fryer Battery looks to make its mark. Hey, Matt, let's continue our discussion of battery technology, because as we think about the electrification of many industries, most notably the auto industry, it's coming down in large part to battery technology. Uh, Primit Parikh, president, COO, and co-founder of Transform, uh, joins us. Primit, thanks so much for joining us here. You know, Matt in particular is fascinated with electric vehicles and the, the evolution of the auto business towards EVs. Talk to us about your company, Transform, and, and kind of how you're thinking about battery technology. Thanks so much, and it's a pleasure to be here. So Transform, T-G-A-N, we are a pioneer and leading provider of gallium nitride semiconductor power devices, which are now widely used in power conversion. And mind you, gallium nitride has been around for LEDs for lighting, RF transistors for more than two decades. Now it's making its way into power conversion, which will be its biggest application in market yet. And particularly with high growing applications like 5G and electric vehicles with the demonstrated capability to completely disrupt power conversion and displace the traditional silicon device technology. And, and what does gallium nitride do and what is power conversion and how is it related to the EVs, right? So whether you are charging your phone or an EV battery charging or driving an electric vehicle motor or powering even your crypto mining or data center power supplies, across this gamut of application, there is electrical energy conversion going on, which is inherently lossy, and it wastes electricity. Gallium nitride offers superior efficiency, which is low energy wasted, a form factor being compact, lightweight, better than any other power conversion semiconductor material today, and Transform tries to do it in the best possible manner. What do you do with Magneti Morelli? That's a, a brand I've been using for 20 years on all my Ducati motorcycles. Excellent, excellent. So Morelli, uh, now Magneti Morelli is, is, is Morelli. It's an integration of two large companies, Calsonic, Kansai, and Morelli. Uh, Magneti Morelli. So it's a, it's a, Morelli is an investor in Transform and a long-term partner for us in electric vehicles, the application of gallium nitride product in electric vehicles. And they see their vision is matched with our vision. Morelli is also, for our, for our purpose, Morelli is also a provider, uh, one of the leading OEM providers to top-tier auto manufacturers. So we work with them on a long-term roadmap 
for insertion of gallium nitride into electric vehicles, inverters, uh, chargers for electric vehicles, making them more efficient, improving the range of electric vehicles, using the battery more efficiently, and improving the charging time of the batteries, and in general, making all the power electronics compact and lightweight. Well, your company, Transform, is a public company. TGAN is the symbol. Uh, it's got a market cap of about $390 million, up 85% uh, year to date. Permit, so we, talk to us about kind of where, what are the key growth drivers for your company over the next couple of years? Yes, no, that's uh, accurate. Thank you. So for Transform, TGAN, right, the gallium nitride power itself, GAN is emerging to be a very large market opportunity in the world of power conversion. More than $3 billion of GANTAM, as we call it, in the near to midterm 2023 timeframe, and more than a $10 billion available total market GANTAM by the end of the decade, with a very strong CAGR, more than double that of the general power semiconductor market, which itself is very healthy. So we see gallium nitride power growth. Uh, our focus is on execution over the next uh, several years. Uh, just like you know, in the 2000 decades, the GAN LED had a hyper growth for uh, 5, 10, 15 years. And all of the companies and Transform is one of the pioneers with strong technology, intellectual property, products, manufacturing, will enjoy market growth for a long time. For us, our goal is to build a multi-hundred million dollar business over the next few years in Transform and make gallium nitride a standard for power conversion. I'm looking at the uh, at, at the super GAN technology products on your website. Amazing that um, they can work for 20 billion field hours or more than that and only have, uh, it looks like, I guess, 0 0.4 f failures per billion hours. So this is an incredible technology. How hard is it to get right now? We all hear so much about the semiconductor shortage. We talk about it uh, on this program a lot. How difficult are you, uh, how much difficulty are you having in filling orders? You just hit upon two uh, important points for uh, Transform. First, you recognize the reliability and quality, which is paramount. So we have uh, now been supplying gallium nitride in the field, and statistically, we have that fit rate, 0 0.4 per billion hours of operation with significant amount of penetration in the field. Quality and reliability is paramount for any semiconductors uh, technology, and we have shown uh, that gallium nitride can be no different than silicon, which is widely used long-term in quality and reliability. Now, that's one of the key uh, advantages and strengths of Transform, our Q-plus-R quality and reliability. Now, other, one of the other strengths of Transform is also that we are vertically integrated. I call it our asset-light vertically integrated model, where we make the most important part of the gallium nitride, the gallium nitride wafers themselves, we 100% make it uh, uh, ourselves. And uh, part of our strong part of our manufacturing is right here in Galeta, California, where we are headquartered for the gallium nitride, the main gallium nitride material. So we do control our own destiny in that sense, making the gallium nitride material, which is an advantage for Transform in this uh, times of troubled supply chains. We are also, that said, we are also in the general semiconductor industry, so we do rely on standard components, packages, etc., for and an supply chain, just like a standard semiconductor industry. So we have to grapple with that and uh, manage carefully and plan ahead. So but what's it look like right advantages now? Is, sorry? What's, what's it look like right now? I mean, I get that you have to do a lot of your own work in-house. If you have, uh, if you want to make a million parts with less than one defect per million, you got to oversee that yourself. But you still count on others um, for components that get shipped in. So what, what's the lag time right now? H how hard has the pandemic been for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. The pandemic not has been easy, but thanks to our phenomenal worldwide team, right? Our manufacturing operations, yes, there have been some delays, but we were actually, we are very fortunate and blessed. And thanks to the hard work of our team, our manufacturing operations worldwide here in California, we have operations in Japan, some operations in Asia. None of right. them have been down in the pandemic. So uh, we make our own gallium nitride. Uh, lead times we have to plan in advance. Uh, that is very important for us. But our team has been managed to deal with it. Hey, Permit, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Permit, uh, Permit uh, Parikh, president, COO, and co-founder of Transform. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.